Be confident. Be bold. Be authentic. But don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 163. In this episode, you're going to hear from Megan Norris. Megan is a mom mindset coach. She's a stress expert and helps you feel better and pursue your goals with ease. She's a homeschool mom and former attorney, total badass. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Megan has so many great nuggets and takeaways, so make sure that you stay tuned. I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. But before we get there, um, yeah, you know it's this week, Thanksgiving, Black Friday. I can't wait. I know it's going to be an epic week. Um, and I want to get in on the fun and share some stuff with you guys. So I will definitely throw some links in the show notes here and then on Thursday, when you hear why Megan Norris is so badass, um, I'll throw the link in the show notes. If you want anything, I'll tell you. Brand new is I am a badass anti-blue light glasses with reading glasses incorporated. So if you need reading glasses, then these are absolutely for you because they're both anti-blue light and reading glasses, which is not a common thing. It's not that easy to find. Um, so this is super cool, and I know that you're going to enjoy it or enjoy them. But then, of course, I'm not going to leave it at just that. You'll get an unstoppable, unstoppable badass ebook along with a mini training series or mini course. So cool, all about feeling badass and tapping into your inner badassery, especially when throwing on the glasses. So if you want to get in on the deal and get to it early, then the link will be here because just for my podcast listeners, I want to make sure that you have the sneak peek of these brand new glasses and their different colors, um, styles. So I'm super excited. I just know that you're going to love them. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Megan Norris. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? All right. So funny story is a couple of months ago, somebody sent me or tagged me on in something on Instagram and said, check out badass life coach, Megan Norris. And I had a, an identity crisis and I was, and I thought, what? I'm not a badass. And I messaged her. I'm like, you call me a badass, but I don't think I'm a badass. She's like, what? You're totally a badass. And since that moment, I have on purpose decided to think of myself through that lens. And it's so fun. So I am a badass. <laughs> I love that. And 
like that's such a good story because it reminds me like how much we can speak into other people like even just like our friends and the people around us sometimes it hate or takes it hearing from somebody else for us to believe it yes and such a good reminder to be generous with our words and our compliments to others without prompting like if you feel inspired to say something to somebody do it because you just never know how it's going to land for them or how much they need to hear it. Yes. So true. So good. I can't wait to continue this conversation and find out some more, but first will you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am 42 years old. I'm a mom of three and ex attorney and a certified life coach. I work with moms on their mindset and their stress management so that they can pursue the goals that are just for them with ease. So how did this all come about for you? Like, how did you start getting into life coaching? What kind of led you down that path? Sure. Um, I remember the moment I was standing in my kitchen, probably 2017. And I had been, I had my third baby in 2014 and had been a stay at home mom for some time. But after that third child, I really started struggling with anxiety, overwhelm, and stress. And I just couldn't figure it out. And I remember standing in my kitchen saying, I don't know what the answer is, but I am, I know that I will know it when I see it. And I it was like this moment of speaking to the universe or to God and saying, I will, I'm available for this. And shortly thereafter, I stumbled on the life coach schools podcast. And I started at episode one and the first episode blew my mind. It was about all about why we aren't taking action. And I had been beating myself up for being undisciplined or weak or lazy. And she explained it to me so beautifully. And it wasn't my fault. It was just like the way my brain was working. I hired a life coach and joined a certification program, I think within six months. I was like, this is exactly what I am meant to do. Um, and it getting coached transformed my life and I couldn't wait to pay that forward. So that's how I ended up in life coaching. Um, and that has taken many twists and turns since then, but that was in 2018 and I've been doing it ever since. So you're no longer an attorney, correct? I don't practice law anymore. I could, but I don't want to. <laughs> so what was that like? Like it, I could imagine that it would be terrifying leaving your like corporate job and going out on your own. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know what? I didn't have any of these tools that I now teach when I was practicing law. And so I was so eaten alive by anxiety overworking burnout and stress and constantly trying to live up to other people's expectations and trying to be perfect that I couldn't wait to leave because I didn't know how to manage it. And I could tell that it was going to start affecting my health. And for sure, my husband had a very demanding job at the time also. And, I'll, and I just thought, who is going to raise these kids? And I couldn't wait to get out of there. So it was, a, it was escaping the fear and the anxiety at the time was the basis for my decision. And I wanted to be with my kids and, and be a mom for a while too. So um, the, it kind of balanced each other out. But I have never 
regretted that decision or second guessed it? So I can relate to a lot of that. So I work in law enforcement, so I can definitely relate to like just the culture of kind of like overworking and stress and, you know, dealing with that all the time. And that's more of the norm. Um, and a lot of people aren't addressing it and dealing with it. But again, it's not something that's talked about in those specific scenarios um, or jobs. And I can't generalize for all jobs. I'm just saying like in my situation, and it sounds like yours, but what is something that you've learned since then that you wish you knew like about anxiety? Sure. I have learned how to process anxiety. I have learned to understand, I've become, I've come to understand that anxiety doesn't necessarily mean anything's going wrong. It's just a human emotion that we experience sometimes. Um, and those are probably the two most life-changing things, learning how to process it and be with it instead of trying to fix it. Um, and then understanding that my thoughts and my fears are creating the anxiety. It's not the circumstance outside of me. It is how my brain is working and wired to interpret that. And that, that is creating my anxiety. And that just helps make it seem less scary. Okay. Brain, the threat isn't real, right? There's not actually a lion chasing me right now. It's just how my brain is viewing it. And that's okay. So is there some sort of practice or what do you do? Do you just like sit with yourself and kind of go through those thoughts or what do you do in the moment when you're feeling anxiety? I just sit with it. Like the scariest thing for me to do was to put my phone down and sit in a chair and do nothing but sit and be with myself for five minutes. And so I recommend like when I'm working with a client, I say, set a timer for two minutes, start at two minutes and just sit and be with yourself in silence for a moment. And it's really scary at first to do that. And things will come up that you've been avoiding and you didn't even know it, <laughs> but it gets easier as you go. And it really is such a useful way. That's easy to just look, sit and do nothing. And trust me, your body and your brain will take care of it and it will start to process through you and you won't be carrying it around so much. Yeah, because I mean, I think it's kind of common. I know for me, my resource has been like eating. <laughs> like if I need to solve the world's problems or I'm feeling stress and anxiety, then I'll go to food. Um, and it's only been in the last couple of years, you know, just learning to just sit with it and feel the emotions um, as opposed to looking for something outside it to control it. Right. And that's what we do. I think that's, that's the other piece of this. It's really helpful. I teach that stress is the response we have to an emotion. It's not the feeling itself. And the type of stress response you have is going to tell your body if you're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So when you're feeling anxious, that is a flight stress response. Your brain and body are saying, run away, get away. And so a lot of us run into the pantry. Like I'm going to go escape this feeling with food and it does work. It numbs the emotion. And instead of being judgmental of it and beating yourself up for doing that, you can have some compassion and say, oh, it makes sense. I'm eating Oreos right now because my brain thinks it's the solution to this threat. And that's the first. So understanding that the stress response is separate from the emotion. There's lots of emotions that create stress, overwhelm, anxiety, anger, frustration, irritation, doubt, 
um, the feeling of being obligated to somebody and people pleasing, those are all going to create a stress response. And if you're not managing it, your default response is just your survival brain. And it's not your, it's not a character flaw. And I think that just knowing that for women is such a relief. Oh, <laughs> I'm not screwed up. I'm not messing this up. It's actually happening right exactly as it should. Yes. And I love that you're talking about this. Um, so interesting because I feel like it's not talked about enough, like on the weight side of things. And I know there's a bunch of other things that it could be, you know, or that you can use to control your emotions, whether it's alcohol, food, um, there's a bunch of different things, but I feel like on like the weight loss side of things, it's never addressed about actually, Hey, it might not just be the food you're eating, but it's also, you know, what's causing it in the first place. Exactly. And if, and most of us are walking around in a chronic state of stress and that slows our digestion, slows our metabolism, affects our sleep, you know, completely prevents us from looking at long-term goals because we're so focused in like getting away from the threat in the present moment. And the cocktail of hormones you have swirling around your body when you're stressed does, is not conducive to weight loss or well-being or sleep or water intake or any of it. Um, and so, yes, I agree. It's a, it's a huge gap in under in understanding and education on the weight loss side and also just wellness in general. Um, I think people want to skip to the goal playing part, the part where you're getting the result that you want, but it's kind of like asking Google maps to get you to a destination without putting in a starting location. Like you have to know where you're starting from to get to your destination. And most of us are just wandering around the map with no clear path because we don't understand where we're starting. Yes. So good. Um, that maybe, what is it that you do on, do you have any practices like on a daily basis that you do to reduce your stress? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things. The first thing is that I do a thought download. So I teach this to my clients where we make a laundry list of everything swirling around our brain. Instead of journaling it in paragraph style, I like the list because it's gonna help your brain see it objectively. Each sentence is its own separate entry and it can be anything that you're thinking about, right? Like, I'm so overwhelmed, I have so much to do. I'm not gonna get it all done. I don't know where to start. And when you list things out, you can look at it objectively and say, oh, well, this is what my brain is thinking right now. Of course I feel overwhelmed, right? And it just helps us um, observe our brain without being in the story. And just that awareness will help um, lower your stress level. And then another thing that you can do is learn how to make strong decisions. Women love to wander around in indecision. And then we say we have decision fatigue, but I think we have indecision fatigue. It's like, we're tired because of all these decisions that we haven't made. And it can be something as simple as like, I don't know what to make for dinner. And <clears throat> we think there's a right answer. We think that we're gonna mess it up if we make the wrong choice. And pretty much across the board, you just need to decide, right? And just 
stop thinking about it. And so learning how to make strong decisions so that we're constantly moving forward and not stuck in the same patterns of stress. We're always gonna have stress. That's part of being a human. But I don't want you to wake up every day like Groundhog Day and be stressed about the same things. I want you to grow through your patterns and find new ones, right? And, and, reach, new, and reach new blocks and new ceilings and break through those. And then that's how you kind of get this, this clue that you're growing and you're on the right track. Yeah, and I heard some stat somewhere and I can't remember, um, I know Joe Dispenza talks about this type of thing, but like how like 90% of your thoughts are the same today as they were yesterday. And it's like, that's insane. <laughs> yes, and by the time, I think he says like by the time you're 35, almost all of it is adopted from somebody else. And we're just repeating it and we don't even realize it. We think when, when I think I have a million things to do, I just think that's a fact, but that's not actually true, right? That's something we adopted from somewhere and it's this overwhelming thought. Well, that's not true. I have six things to do today, right? And so really getting into the nitty gritty of the words in your head and picking them apart and saying, wait, that's not true. I don't have to do everything. I'm not responsible for the whole world. How can I break this down so I feel less overwhelmed is so helpful. So the thought download and then making decisions really impactful in terms of our stress. So earlier you mentioned observing your brain without being in the story. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So we have, um, for simplicity's sake, two brains. We have our survival brain, which is creating the stress response and is our unconscious habits. And then our higher thinking brain, which is our prefrontal cortex that allows us to think about what we think about. And we can observe our thoughts from a neutral objective standpoint. And it's a practice. It takes a little bit of time to get good at it. And I think that's really helpful. It can be very helpful to have a coach to help you do that. Cause a lot of times, I mean, even now I'm like, that's not a story. That's true. And my coach will say, no, that's, you're just, that's a story in your head. Um, so just practicing being aware of the thoughts in your head, there's no magic to it. It's just a practice. And it's really the most important number one, when you're noticing that you feel terrible, <laughs> that's, that would be a good time to pay attention to it. And then also if you want to set a goal that is out of your comfort zone and create a result you've never created, you're going to need new thoughts because if you already believed it was possible, you would have already done it. So some part of you doesn't believe it's possible yet. So that's the other time when you really want to pay attention to what's going on in your head. Other than that, there's 60,000 thoughts in there a day. You can't manage all of them. Like a lot of them are serving you that let them go. But in those two situations, pay attention. So you talked a little bit about how you're a coach, but then also how you have a coach, which I think is so important. But I think for people that have never had a coach, they don't know what the impact is or what the importance is. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I almost, I can't think of a time I didn't have either a business coach or a personal coach since I found life coaching. And it just, for me, I, and 
I think this is why it's so beneficial is that we just can't always see how our brain is trapping us. And our brains are so good at keeping us safe and deciding for us what it thinks is acceptable in terms of risk. And we just are not always able to see that. So it can help you just feel better. And that is such a worthy result to create, right? I love my life, but I'm not enjoying it. I don't feel good in it. Help me. Um, but also I wanted to create this new result. How do I do that? Can you help me unpack my conditioning, some of my trauma, um, and my current thoughts that are keeping me from creating this? And so it's just comforting for me, especially as a mom, to know I have some place to go every week where I just get to talk about me. I don't have to have a conversation with anybody. I don't have to ask her how she's doing. And she shows up with love and holds the space for me and shows me my mind. And it's just invaluable. I wouldn't, that would be like one of the last things to go if I lost everything. (laughs) I will find a way to pay for this. Um, So I just, I have really come to value my time as a client Yes. Yes. It's like, we have to be able to get out of our own way. And a lot of times we can't do that without the help of like somebody that's an, an objective third party. Yeah, definitely. So when you said, um, like, I love my life, but I'm not enjoying it. Part of that hit home for me. I know that I have definitely been there in the past and it can be hard to maybe find joy, but what have you done or what do you tell your clients about what they can do to start enjoying life again? The first, um, the first thing is have compassion worth where you are. So how are you feeling that feels awful, right? Whether it's anxiety or fear or just dissatisfaction, let's process that. And then let's start to figure out why that pattern is present in your life. Um, And a lot of times it comes back to a disconnect between our heads and our bodies. So we're so good at disconnecting from our feelings. We have all these thoughts like, I love my life. I wanted this life. I created what I wanted here, but I don't feel anything except for anxiety. And it's oftentimes just because we've just disconnected. We don't want to feel the anxiety. So we're like all up in our head and I can think the thought, I love my life, but I don't feel love in my body. I don't feel excitement or joy. And so beginning where we are processing that and then looking for the places where we can have gratitude and um, experience abundance in terms of what we already have, right? What do I already have that I would choose all over again? I love my house. I would buy it again, right? I love my dog. I would adopt her again. And really appreciating our past self for creating the things we have today that we love. Yeah. And I like, what do I have that I would choose all over again? Because oftentimes, like you said, we get into these situations and we don't we're not really embracing them or we had turned off what we were feeling and we're like, ah, now I'm stuck. Now I made this decision and I have to stay here. You know, I'm going to be so embarrassed if I got here and then I have to quit, but it's like, 
who cares? Who cares? If it doesn't bring you joy anymore, <laughs> drop it. <laughs> exactly. Like give yourself permission to change, change your mind, right? That That's being human. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for me, I've had to really be intentional about those things I love. Like I love listening to music, you know, and, but if I don't be intentional and be like, okay, I'm going to have a dance party on Fridays, you know, that I won't do it. <laughs> Yes. Being intentional with our time, um, is activating that higher thinking brain. And if we're not intentional, we're reactive. And then we're just like catching up with the eight ball all week. And we haven't done anything that intentionally brings us joy. So I love, I love that. Like planning ahead of time for things that you love and enjoy and following through on that, keeping your word to yourself can be a game changer. So I know that you talk about ease and things being easy as two different things. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes. So it's easy because we love to take words and then beat ourselves up with them. Right. So I teach my moms that motherhood is never going to be easy. Being a human is never going to be a joy ride. 100% of the time we are meant to have contrast. But that doesn't mean that we can't go through that contrast, the good and the bad with ease. And so it's really understanding how to process emotion instead of resisting it so that you don't create more unnecessary suffering, learning how to process the good emotions. How do you feel joy? How do you feel delight? How do you feel excitement? And knowing, having that emotional agility will, um, make it feel easier, even when it's hard. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was like, why is it so hard? I think for moms, for women to feel joy, because I know, and I was a stepmom for many years and I like when things are going good, then you're like, Oh my gosh, what if the house burns down? What if they get hurt? What if this happens? You know, it can be hard to actually feel the joy without having like worry seeping. Yes. So that is just your survival brain saying, Ooh, don't feel too happy because there's this fear over here that it could all go away. But what I'll offer is that your brain is always going to offer you those worst case scenario thoughts. You don't have to believe them. And, um, and feeling fear, feeling disappointment, reducing your joy ahead of time only creates more suffering. It's like if something happened, you're still going to be afraid. Now you felt afraid ahead of time for forever and less joy. And now you've got the actual fear thing happening. So you've just created a net negative experience for yourself. So give yourself permission to just be in joy. And yeah, your brain might say, Ooh, don't get too much on your high horse there. Cause we could knock you down and say, yeah, that's true. But for right now, we're going to be in joy. Um, I think people really underestimate because we're not taught how to do it, but they underestimate the power they have to focus their mind on what they want to focus on instead of what it wants to focus on. Yes. Yes. So important. And, you know, you mentioned about suffering in there and a mentor of yours and mine, Alison Bird had, has a phrase, like I'm not available for suffering. And that has really like stuck with me and hit home for me. 
And then ironically enough, like I found my voice a bit more because I'm like, okay, if I'm going to start going down this path of suffering, I'm either one, um, going to say, okay, I'm not available for it and be done, you know, or I'm going to speak my mind. So it's forced me to speak up more and speak my mind to just get it off my chest and then I'll be over it. <laughs> but I find yes. it so interesting how we get sucked into suffering. I love that phrase. I have used it a lot. Also, I'm not available for my own suffering. And whenever I notice that my brain is really committed to a story, right? It really wants to tell the story that makes me feel terrible over and over and over again. And our brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined, right? So every time I retell that story, it's like my body is reliving it. And I use that phrase in those moments to say, I am not available for my own suffering about this anymore. And that helps me remember to refocus where I want my energy to go instead of one where I don't. And listen, giving up that story and your commitment to that story can be one of the hardest things. It is challenging because we want, we like some part of us loves the drama, right? And the struggle and, and the justifiable reason to be in a, in a suffering place. And just because it's a good reason doesn't mean you need to use it, right? It may not serve you. So there's a time and a place to process the negative emotion, but let's not stay there longer than necessary. Yeah. Such a good point. Um, what is something that your that your clients struggle with most? Mm, well, you, uh, mentioned mom guilt when we were chatting before. And I think that, um, that is a, that's a big one. Um, and even for your listeners that aren't moms, you know, the, the guilt of not being perfect or disappointing someone or not living up to others' expectations, um, is huge, I think in general. And, um, what I teach is that their guilt is always going to be offered on the buffet of things that your brain is going to cook up, right? <laughs> it's always going to be there. And it's not a problem, right? My, my clients love to make it this issue, this problem. Like I have this mom guilt and I need to fix it. And it's because they believe the story their brain's telling them that I should have done it different. I should have done it differently or better. Um, and I just, I'll just offer, look, that story is a lie. It's not true. And even if it is, does it serve you to stay in guilt about it? And so I just, I don't ever want to pretend that we are able to erase emotions from our emotional vocabulary, because I don't think that serves us. And then we have shame for feeling them. And so, yeah, you may feel guilty. Sometimes you may feel like you let someone down or you didn't do it the best that you could do. And so what, like, yeah, that's being a human and it's okay. It doesn't mean anything. So don't, don't swim in it. Don't get stuck in it and suffer over it unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can speak to that a little bit, like the eliminating emotions or trying to erase emotions. I guess that's probably like the typical, like police officer thing to do, you know, <laughs> like don't feel your emotions, but it's like, it's good until it no longer serves you or you think it's good until it like, you can't 
handle it anymore. You can't live that way of life anymore. I think it all catches up to you at some point if you're not dealing with your emotions. Yes. And moms do the same thing. They're like, oh, I don't have time to have my own feelings. I don't have the energy to have my own feelings. And so if I pretend they're not there, maybe they just won't be there. And nope, (laughs) they're, they're there and they're waiting for you. Um, and they will be available whenever you sit down in a chair by yourself. So they don't just go away. So what have you done to combat the mom guilt? Um, cause you know, whether you're an attorney or as a life coach, you've got right. a lot going on. You're good. Yeah. Can you hear the dog? A little bit. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sadie. Um, I don't, I spend almost zero time working to combat mom guilt. And I would offer your listeners, like, don't waste your your time trying to plan to avoid a negative emotion. Like I uh, would much rather spend time thinking about what I want and what I desire and what I want to create and dropping myself into the emotions I need to fuel that. So I don't I don't know that I do anything specific other than when I do feel the guilt come, I am with it. I'm a hundred percent there. I'm like, okay, I feel guilty right now and it's not a problem. And I'm just going to wait. It will pass. And it probably won't need any more of my attention. So like accept it instead of trying to combat it or fight against it. Is that right? Yes. Don't try to fix it (laughs) because then look, here's what we do. I serve my kid pizzas for dinner and I'm like, Oh no, I fed them pizza again. I'm a terrible mom. Let me try to micromanage every meal after this so that they eat healthy and I can feel like a better mom. Well, what do kids do when you try to control them and what they eat? They just freak out more, right? It becomes more of a disaster. And so our efforts to try to correct for a negative emotion almost always just create more of that negative emotion. So the sitting with our feelings and feeling how we feel, how do we teach this to our kids? Because I don't feel like kids are taught this often enough. Um, And so we all grew up probably not knowing how to deal with our emotions. And I think it's an important skill to have. So how do we teach that to our kids? I think um, number one, most best important thing you can do is model it, right? Is model and use language to explain what you're doing. Mommy's having an anxious, I'm feeling anxious today and I just need a minute, right? Or coming back and apologizing. I yelled at you just then because I was feeling frustrated and it had nothing to do with you. So modeling it to them. And then when they're upset, and this is, this is so challenging, but learning how to be okay when they're not okay will help them understand that their feelings aren't scary to you. And when you can hold space for their emotions, when they're sad, when they're anxious, when they are in shame, and you can say, it's okay. Or when they're angry and yelling at you, right? It's so hard. My seven-year-old's like screaming at me. Right. And I'm, and I just, I do my best. I'm not perfect, but to stay calm and say, it's okay that you're angry or sad. I'm not leaving and I'm here and don't try to fix it or distract them from it or 
Um, you know, we, I, it's so tempting to be like, let's go turn on a movie or get ice cream to feel better, but, or to react and say, oh, now I'm anxious. Don't feel anxious. Look, you should have perspective and you should understand these adult things. And you should know that you're going to get older and this won't matter. It's like, just let them be in their emotions and they will learn it automatically. That's so interesting. Um, and so, but not, if you just sit there while they're crying or, Hey, it's okay that you're angry, but then just kind of let them process it and talk when they want to talk or how does that go? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you can stay calm and grounded in your own body, you will know what to say and what to do. Obviously there are some boundaries, like you're not going to hit me or punch the wall when you're angry. (laughs) Right. But yeah, it's like just sitting there and letting them cry and say, it's okay that you're sad. We can do sadness. Like my kids have anxiety and are really sad right now. That's okay. I can hold space for that and not try to process my emotions while I'm with them, right? I can just be present with them. And I'm very careful about the language I use around them. And you don't have to be perfect, right? You can always come back. And I think I say apologize, but Dr. Becky, I forget her whole handle on Instagram is an amazing parent therapist and coach. And she uses the word repair. It's like, great parents aren't perfect, but great parents come back and repair the relationship. Right. And so if I find that I'm really reactive to their emotions, cause I get frustrated and I want them to go to bed instead of be crying, I can come back and say, I'm sorry. I was so frustrated. It had nothing to do with you. Let's talk about why you're so upset. And so it's not trying to be perfect, but just really keeping the dialogue open and modeling it to them so that they can see you doing it. How has this changed things for you? Like since you've started doing this for yourself and with your kids, you know, it's been a, it's not an overnight thing. I certainly felt better almost overnight once I understood all of these skills and tools, but in terms of our family system, our family dynamic, and my kids, it's been this very slow burn. And it's almost, it's like the transformation happened over two years and overnight, right? It's, and so now my oldest is 11 and he gets it. And I, it wasn't even intentional. I was just like trying to, to live this work with him. And he will say things to me like, mom, I am just really anxious today and I'm not sure why, but I need a fidget toy and he'll get something to like manipulate with his hands. And so, um, it's brought a lot more peace to me because I realize that I don't have to fix their negative emotions. Kids are not supposed to be happy all the time. And I think we, we want them to be so that we can feel okay. But when you recognize that you're in charge of your feelings, they get to have theirs. And I want my kids to have all the challenges while they're with me because I want to guide them and support them and help them. And so when they go out into the world, it's not disappointments, not new, right? They're like, Oh, I did this once before and now I can do it again. And this the stakes get bigger and the scale becomes more important, but, um, 
So that was like a long-winded answer to your question, but um, the family dynamic has changed. My kids are showing evidence that they are uh, learning this stuff and I feel so much more inner peace. Yeah. And it's like, so like mind blowing. (laughs) You're like, I want my kids to feel disappointment with me, but I mean, it absolutely makes sense, but that's opposite of what I hear out like just in the everyday world. So I think that that's really powerful um, because it takes some of the pressure off you too. Like we're all, a lot of us, not all, but are like people pleasers or fixers, or we want everybody to be happy and everybody to be taken care of. But to realize that you know, having them have some disappointment is actually doing them a favor um, and not hurting them. Yes, absolutely. And look, we didn't know, right? We didn't know better. (laughs) That's what we were taught. And so no shame in your game, right? Um, But as we grow up and, or we become more emotionally educated, I think that we start to realize that it's super important that kids have the, these emotional experiences. I feel especially for boys because there's so much conditioning around being a man and being strong and not having emotions that leads to later dysfunction in life um, that I'm pretty dedicated to that with them. And also when I'm triggered by their feelings, it is a big magnifying mirror glass in my face that says you have work to do here. Otherwise this wouldn't be triggering. (laughs) So they're great teachers too. That's so true. And I've, I've been realizing that or focusing on that for myself too. Anytime in any situation that I get like extremely triggered or like something just like pisses me off. It's like, okay, what that's about me. It's not about them. (laughs) Yes. In fact, I think Allison coached me on that. in one of our sessions, I was like, I was feeling really triggered in this conversation. And she's like, yeah, you have work to do there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, uh, we all have work to do, you know, it's a lifelong process. Yes, absolutely. So I know that we're winding down here, but I wanted to ask you, um, how, I know you talk about pursuing your goals with ease. How can we do that? Yes. So we need to focus on three main buckets. Number one is our desire and what we want. Let's be clear about what it is we want and why we want it. Do I want it because someone else told me I should, or is it really my truth that I want this thing or to create or to accomplish this goal? So desire, and then our energy, do I have the energy to make this happen within the time frame I've given myself? Where is there an adjustment needed? Because it's a limited resource. And I, women like to think it's not, and we like to pretend that it's not. And then we wonder why we're sick and exhausted and overwhelmed all the time. So protective of your energy with love and kindness, right? And then the third bucket is time. Um, how am I going to manage my time so that I feel like I have luxurious amounts of time to do this thing. There's no pressure. I'm not in a hurry. I recognize that, you know, X number of steps are going to happen before this and getting really clear on our, the time management piece, because we just like to keep piling things on without taking anything off. And time is also a limited resource. So it's precious. We don't get it back. (laughs) It, it, you know, it's just, it's just going all the time and ticking. So we want to be really mindful of that. So I would focus your listeners on, on those three things and get really clear on all of them. 
Yes. And you know, I almost didn't ask that question because I want to be respectful of your time, but I really appreciate that. Um, just because that hits home for me, <laughs> there's been a lot going on where I want to do all the things. And, you know, if I'm looking at my desire, looking at my energy and looking at my time, I think that that kind of narrows it down or puts in perspective what I really should do first. Yes. So if you can't answer yes to, do I have time? Do I have the energy? Do I really want it? All three questions have to be a yes, and then it will be easy. You will feel calm and it will be fun. And when those get out of balance and out of whack, that's when you enter overwhelm and depletion and people pleasing and it gets harder. (laughs) So good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. Ask for help ask for help. Be your, it's going to feel vulnerable, especially if you've never done it, but be willing to ask for support and help in the areas that you need it because we are a tribal species. We are meant to co-create together and we don't, there's no upside to being an Island. So (laughs) ask for help. (laughs) Women out there, you heard from Megan, make sure that you ask for help or ask for help. It can be a game changer. So thank you so, oh, actually, how can we connect with you? Oh, you can connect with me on Instagram is probably the best place. My handle is Megan, M-E-A-G-A-N Norris coaching. So Megan, you've been a total badass. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, ordinarytobadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. That's ordinarytobadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt and get back in the arena.